Oh, be seated in the presence of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is in me as his holy name. What a privilege it is to be back here again at Bethesda. This is my hometown. I'm Fort Worth, born and bred. I've been in exile down in Waco for about 15 years, but I'll, I'll come back. It is such a warm, wonderful, and embracing fellowship here at Bethesda. I uh, know how much you love your pastor. I've come to love him and to know him. And sharing that friendship with R.T. was an interesting, interesting way how that happens, isn't it? Just driving around. He introduced me as a, a professor. You know, there's always a little bit of danger in being introduced as a professor. Because I remember sometimes I'm a guest preacher and the pastor is gone. And I was in another city, and I'll, I'll change the name to protect the guilty, but uh, I, was, uh, I got to the church early just to get a sense of the place. I'd never been in there. And all the way across the sanctuary, there was one member in there. And they kind of waved at me, and I waved back, and we walked toward one another, uh, <laughs> introduced himself. And, and the member said, well, I'm sorry you're here today. Our, our pastor's gone. And I said, I just, that's all right said, they sent us one of those professors, and they're usually dull as dirt. <laughs> I didn't see them after church. I don't know what happened, but, but I appreciate that. I want you to work, open the Word of God with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. If I were to write a title over this sermon, I think I would call it Concrete Faith. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Hebrews 11 begins with a great abstract theological definition of faith. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That's beautiful. But I need to know how that looks in a real human life. How does all that big definition play out in a concrete life? So look with me at verse 8, because here we have the life of faith. In fact, <laughs> Abram's called the father of all of those who have faith in Romans chapter 4. So here's a synopsis, a digested version, a cliff notes of the 175-year life of Father Abraham and Mother Sarah, the patriarch and matriarch of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Here it is, Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land that he'd been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who'd promised. 
Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born as many as the stars of heaven and the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And there you have this abridged version, digested synopsis of the life of the father and mother of all those who have faith. Let's pray. Lord, I, I'm asking you that you now would visit us in the proclamation of this word among your people met to worship and to hear your word. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, the story of this ancient person would leap off this page and he'd become to us an example of what it means to live by faith, but more than that, pointing toward our Lord Jesus in whose name we pray, Amen. <laughs> well, he said, I was a seminary professor. Uh, there was a famous seminary professor one time who earned the nickname Dr. Love. And it happened this way. Every time he spoke, his emphasis was Christian love. If it was a marriage, obviously, but if it was a memorial service or a baccalaureate service or a civic club address or all the places that preachers have to speak, he ended with an emphasis on Christian love. He was famous for it for 40 years. And then he retired. <laughs> well, Dr. Love, his nickname, had never really done anything with his hands. He'd handled books and written articles. And he wanted the satisfaction of doing something with his hands. So he had an old crumbling driveway at his little home. And he dug it out and put the rebar there, got everything ready, and poured the concrete to make his own driveway. He's so proud of himself. And just as the concrete was setting up, a group of neighborhood kids chasing a dog ran through it. Well, Dr. Love went out to his garage and got out a garden hoe and chased them down the street saying, I'm going to kill you. Well, his wife was looking out the kitchen window, and she said, how could you do that? You've always been Dr. Love. And he said, Madam, that was love in the abstract. This is love in the concrete. <laughs> Sometimes we need to see what faith looks like all the time in the concrete. Now, when I hold up Abraham, you might say this is 2020. He lived 2000 B.C. in what is today Iraq. Why in the world would I bring that wasness into your isness? <laughs> or that thenness into your nowness? Or that over thereness into your hereness in Fort Worth, a place he never imagined? Well, there's a good reason. Because he's called in Romans 4 the father of all of those who have faith. In fact, James calls him the friend of God. Now that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought God needed a friend. <laughs> he called him the friend of God. And when I look at the life <clears throat> of this patriarch, I see in his life what faith in the concrete looks like. He was not a perfect person, and I'm not saying be like Abraham. You have him warts and all when you read his story in Genesis. But what you do find from him 
is faith. In fact, he's the first person in the Bible about whom it is expressly said he believed God. And God wrote it down in his book as righteousness because Abraham believed in him. Now, I don't have to tell you the three great world monotheistic religions all point back to him. Islamic people, Jewish people, and Christian people say this man exemplified what it means to live by faith. Now, I'm going to add you three things, and I'm going to sit down. I want you three things that I know from his life, not just his life. I've mapped my own life over his life in this regard. First of all, concrete faith enables you to go with God without knowing next where. Now look at verse 8. It's right out of the scripture. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to set out to a place he'd receive, and he set out not knowing where he was going. Here he was in Ur, Ur of Chaldees it's called. It was in what's today Iraq. And he set out with his father Terah, and they were going with God, even though the two of them didn't know where they were going. In fact, if you study the technicalities of the language, it suggests that even as the voice of God was ringing in Abraham's 75-year-old ear, he was on his way going, even though he didn't know where he was going. And I want to underscore this about the life of faith. It's a willing to go to the next place God tells you, even though you don't know where it is. Following after him. Philo Judaeus was a contemporary of our Lord Jesus. He was a Jew, and he wrote a biography of Abraham, and he said this, Abraham left home to go to a foreign place so quickly that you'd think he left a foreign place to go home. <laughs> the one thing about him, and with all of his faults and flaws, when God said, get up and go, he got up and went. Now, <laughs> I'd like to know something. How'd God tell him that? There he was over in, 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 in Iraq, and somehow God's now, oh, he didn't have a Bible. See, many of you have a copy of Scripture. The earliest, the earliest that the books of Moses might have been written was 600 years after Abraham got up and got out. Did God speak to him in a dream by night? Like he would speak to Jacob, his grandson? Did he speak to him in a vision by day? Did he look up to that blue sky in Iraq and he had a day vision? Did God speak to him with a growing sense of disgust for worshiping the moon? Abraham's people were moon worshipers. Or did God just say it in an audible voice? A friend of mine has gone on to heaven now, was president of the denomination. And he, he shocked everybody by not running for another term when everybody thought he was running for another term. And a cynical newspaper reporter asked him, uh, said, <laughs> Uh, did God tell you not to run in an audible voice? And uh, Adrian said, no, he spoke a whole lot louder than that. <laughs> sometimes you know that it's God speaking to you. And somehow this voice came to him, and he got up, and he left. And he left with 318 household servants. And you say, well, anybody want to leave Ur? Ur doesn't even sound very attractive, does it? Say, where do you live? Well, uh, er, uh, <laughs> but no, no, University of Pennsylvania, the British Museum dug up ancient Ur. 
It was the New York City of its day. Had a huge uh, a seaport uh, that came in on the river. Tiger said, high-rise homes of which a wealthy man such as Abraham would have lived in. He had a household staff of 318 servants. It wasn't a place you would just leave. And yet he got up and walked out. When you read his story, it's interesting that he did not offer to God any excuses or substitutes. He was 75. At a time when we hoped to be collecting Social Security, he faced another 100 years of social insecurity. At a time when we wanted to, to, to hang it up, he had to pack it up and spend the next 100 years following God. You know what else? He didn't have the example of an Abraham. Here we are with the encouragement of Abraham. He didn't have a Bible. He couldn't, in other words, he did it without precedent. You ever notice how often we serve God without precedent? That is, if somebody else ever did this, I'll do it. He had no precedent. He just got up and went with God without excuses and without substitutes. Have you ever found out how easy it is for you to excuse yourself from obeying God? Well, nobody ever did, Dad. What do people think about me? They may think I'm a religious crackpot. See, you ever hear about it? This old hillbilly, he was eating, he's eating peas, and his neighbor came and said, I, I need to borrow your axe. And he said, no, I'm eating black-eyed peas. His neighbor looked at him and said, no, no, neighbor, I need to borrow your axe for an hour. And he said, I'm eating black-eyed peas. Well, this exchange went on four or five times. I'm eating peas. And finally, his neighbor says, what does eating peas have to do with loaning your axe? And he said, neighbor, when you don't want to loan your axe, one excuse good as the other. <laughs> Abraham had a world of excuses. But the reason we're talking about him 4,000 years later is that when God said, get up and get out, he got up and went with God without knowing Next, where? In the days of World War II, in the United States Navy, where I'm sure some of you may have served, there was a phenomenon called sailing under sealed orders. And that is a troop ship, sometimes with three and 4,000 sailors on it, was preparing to throw off the great mooring housers that held it to the dock and sail out into the Atlantic. And the commander didn't know where they were going. Captain, he'd get a sealed envelope. And all that was on it were degrees of latitude and longitude, those invisible lines that cross out in the trackless pass of the seas, degrees, minutes, and hours. And using navigational devices, <laughs> the captain would sail that ship till they got to that place and then open the envelope. And sometimes there would only be another envelope in it with another set of numbers as the ship zigged and zagged. It was so secret where it was supposed to go that it was just sailing under sealed orders. Finally, the last envelope would be open and it would give the destination. Now come close to me. I found out in my own life that's what it means to follow the Lord Jesus by faith. It's sailing under sealed orders. I was eight years old over on the west side of Fort Worth at Connell Baptist Church, 4736 Bryce. As an eight-year-old boy, I got up and walked down the aisle. 
and asked Jesus to save me, to rescue me. And it's as if I looked up and said, the envelope, please. <laughs> and the next thing it said was to put him on in biblical believer's baptism. When I came up dripping wet out of that, I said, the envelope, please. And then when I was a 16-year-old over at Arlington Heights High School in a youth vacation Bible school, sitting in a pew, like lightning coming out of heaven on a moonless, starless night, he called me to preach. And I walked down the aisle, looked at the youth minister, John Scales, and I said, the envelope, please. And now for more than a half a century of preaching his word, again and again, all I could say is, the envelope, please. I've been up, I've been down, I've been level with the ground. I've opened one envelope at a time, telling me what's next. I want you to come close to me here and beyond here if you're listening to me. Faith means a willingness to go with him without knowing next where. I don't know where that is for you. But I do know this. He's a faithful Lord who will take you from point to point and you'll only see what it meant when you look in the rearview mirror of life. And when you do that, you'll see point the point, the point. My sons were little, used to take them camping. I, I was famous for camping disasters. I can't tell you, every camping trip was a disaster. <laughs> I can't even describe it. But one of the, one of the camping, before the disaster, we'd always want to find a compass so that if we got lost, we'd, <laughs> we'd have a way to get out. And it was a joke around the house, where's the compass? Because we only used it once a year. Anybody seen the compass? Oh, where's the compass? Yeah. But you know what? Every time we found it, it was interesting. It was still pointing north. <laughs> Wherever we put it, it was pointing north. If you live a life of faith in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to face some camping disasters. <laughs> but the compass is always going to point to the next place. And that's where I want to lean in this another way about the life of concrete faith. It not only enables you in 2020 to go with God living out of the last promise he gave you without knowing where. Let me say another thing. It enables you to wait on him without knowing when. Now, if, Abraham, if I were Abraham, every morning when I got up, my morning devotionals would begin with one word, when. You promised me a land, and I left a great place where I was living. And you promised me a son, and I don't have a land or a son. He was asking God, when? Now, if I could sit down with you, and I wish I could sit down at your kitchen table, I really do, over a cup of coffee with you and talk about your life of faith, I know something to be true about some of you. You're asking God, when? When? When will I find out what you want me to do with my life? When will I find out if you want me to go to school or not? When will I find someone as a life companion? When will I get well? When will you turn the heart of my children back toward me? When? Let me tell you this. The essence of a life of faith is to wait on God until he says when. Now look at this. Look at this. It says he settled down in tents with Isaac and Jacob. 
Now, there's an interesting thing in the language of the New Testament here. It says, literally, he settled down permanently in tents. Now, that is what's called an oxymoron, to settle down permanently in a tent. You know what an oxymoron is? That's two words that don't go together, like high lowness or hot coldness or near farness. If you've ever lived in a tent, what you don't do is settle down in a tent. I remember when I was over in Arlington Heights High School, sophomore, so we had a biology professor, Frederick Arsenal, took people down to the coast of the intercoastal canal to do marine biological research. A group of us went down there and lived in a tent for a month. I was a Fort Worth boy. I didn't know anything about setting up a tent down south end of Padre Island. And I remember the first night, a rainstorm, windstorm, blew our tent into the intercoastal canal. I still remember it out there in the rain trying to fish that tent out and put it up in a windstorm. We didn't feel permanent. <laughs> and for some, God only knows the reason they made me the camp cook, a bad decision. But I remember this, there was sand in the bacon, sand in the eggs, sand in the beans. There was sand, it gave a whole new meaning to the word sandwich. I mean, it just <laughs> terrible. There was nothing permanent about it. That's the picture here. He settled down permanently in tents. That is, Abe settled down to a life of permanent impermanence until God said, now. First Peter makes it very clear about your relationship to this world. It calls you a pilgrim and a stranger. I didn't make that up. You know, we used to sing the little chorus, this world is not my home, I'm what? Just a what? My treasures are laid up where? Somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's other shore. Can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know, I think we've probably settled down more than that now. If we sang it now, we'd probably have to sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. They got a few CDs and a Krugerrand or two. <laughs> Angels beckon me from heaven's other shore. I got to see my broker one time more. We, 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 we've settled down here. But listen to me. The life of faith is a willingness to go with God and wait until he says, when? Now, how do you do that? Thank you for asking. Look at the next verse. For a hundred years, Abraham kicked over sand dunes, went from Ur to Haran to Egypt to Bethel and back until God made him a man of the far horizons. Do you see it there in the text? He looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Do you know he leaped over the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation? What did John see? He saw a new Jerusalem coming down with 12 foundations. That's a metaphorical way of saying Abraham came to see that the only permanent thing in life is God. Now I know that's easy to say, but you need to live it out in a concrete way. If you haven't found out, friends can come and friends can go. And I can tell you people patting you on the back when you're on the ladder up, disappear when you're on the ladder down. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. People that you thought were rock solid can vanish. Institutions that you thought would be forever go. 
only thing permanent is God. And he found that out over a hundred years. Waiting on God to say, when? Somebody walked in here this morning and the big question in your life is, when? Well, you're just as well settled down for a life of permanent impermanence. Knowing that permanence is that city which has foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God. Don't about tents, we live in them. Second Corinthians 5, Paul was addressing the tent he lived in. He was a tent repairman. Paul knew about tents. We read he was a tent maker. Literally, he was a tent repairman. And he said, if this earthly tent, what, dissolves, we have a building, eternal, not made with hand, in heaven. And it's my obligation to remind you, incidentally, that you're mortal. Preachers don't say that as much as they used to. So far, the statistics on death are remarkably consistent, one out of one. Unless you leave here like Enoch did or Elijah in a fiery chariot, they're one out of one. And we need to understand we're living in a tent, but we're waiting for a temple. But wait a minute, one more thing I'm going to sit out. Not only does concrete faith enable you to go without knowing where and wait on God without knowing when, it enables you to believe God without knowing how. This was Abraham's biggest problem. He seemed to be like a tourist. He got up and went. He waited, but the problem was this. He, was, he had a ridiculous promise that he and Sarah were going to have a baby. My late friend Calvin Miller had a little poem about it in a, in a children's book. It says, you're going to have a baby, Amy. <laughs> it was a ridiculous promise. He's 75 years old when he got the promise. Still waiting, no baby. Now he thought, first of all, it was, it, it, the baby, it was just a, he thought God was just using a figure of speech and it would be his valet, his footman, uh, Eliezer. Oh, that's who you mean, God. God said, no, I mean you, a child of your loins. And then Sarah hatched her scheme to try to, try to help God and gave uh, Abraham Hagar we're still living with the result of that unfaith. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, it's got to be funny. I mean, this is a funny story. Here's Sarah in the tent, and these three visitors show up at the Oaks of Mamre and tell Abraham you're going to have a son. And remember what said she, what'd she do? Well, <laughs> me? I think about those 318 servants who had to leave Ur, had to leave Iraq with Abraham. I imagine when he got them all together there at Ur in that beautiful city and said, we're going to go. And the, the chief servants said, where are we going to go, Father Abraham? said, I don't know. He got all the servants together. And he said, I think the old man's cracking up. Well, if that's so, what about later when, when the chief servant said, how long are we going to come? How long are we going to be out here, Father Abraham? He said, well, God told me we're going to be out here until Sarah has a baby. I'm sure the chief servant says the son has gotten to the old man's head. Now we are dead. But you know God got the last laugh? One night out of Sarah's tent, when Abraham was 99 and she was 90, the cry of a baby split the air. And they named him Isaac, which means laughter. 
And those 318 servants fell on their face in the sand and said, Great is the God of Abraham. He knew how when nobody did. We were mentioning R.T. Kendall. Let me tell you one of R.T.'s sayings. Faith is always faith in the face of the facts. Can I say that again? Faith is faith in the face of the facts. Fact is, 99-year-old men, 90-year-old women don't have babies. Fact is, fact is, if you're going to take a walled Canaanite city, Jericho, you get the big battalions. You don't have the band walk around it every day, do one set, and the walls fall down. Fact is, if you want to kill a nine-foot-tall Philistine giant, you go get the biggest forward on the Jerusalem NBA team. You don't get son number eight of Jesse with a little slingshot. Fact is, if you want to propagate the gospel of the resurrected Son of God, you don't stop the one man who hated him more than anybody in the world, Saul of Tarsus, and make him the missionary. Fact is, faith is always faced in the face of the fact. Now listen to me. Somebody here today walked in this place with a big fact. That fact says can't be, can't ever be, no way, never. It's your fact. Faith is always faith in the face of the facts. Just look at it. Abraham faced the fact, 99 and a baby with a 90-year-old wife. We're not here to worship Abraham. He's not worthy of your worship. Or you read it. <laughs> He's warts and all. We're not here to worship Abraham. Abraham got a promise, you're going to have a son. And another promise, through your seed, S-E-E-D, singular. All of the world is going to be blessed. When you look at the Ancestry.com of Jesus, <laughs> look at it in Matthew. Son of Abraham, son of David. On the human side of Jesus Christ, if you did a, a DNA genome, right there was the DNA of Abraham on his human side. <laughs> because Jesus said in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. How did that old man walk out of the desert? How did he wait and how did he get that baby? Because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus said, he saw my day far off and he rejoiced. I don't know what Abe saw. If you go down here to the coast and you see on the horizon a sail ship, you won't see the ship. You'll just see the mast and the sails. But when you see them, you deduce there's a ship down there. Abraham saw something, and it was enough to give him saving faith. My Lord, in heaven, literally, Abraham looked forward to one he barely saw. We look back to one we know about. The virgin born, sinlessly perfect, vicariously crucified, Brutally buried, bodily raised, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one who will enable you to go without knowing where, wait without knowing when, 
and believe God without knowing how. Now, if you're listening beyond here today, sitting there in your living room, laying in bed, or you're here in this beautiful house of worship, the question of the moment is what it always is. Have you deposited your faith in him alone as the one who saves? The word save means to rescue and to make you whole. And if you don't know you need rescuing, may God's spirit help you know. He's the rescuer and he's the one who makes you whole. Have you ever gone to him and just simply said, <laughs> Lord, I don't have a ghost of a chance except you. If you do that, he'll rescue you. And I mean you as you really are. You as you really are. A lot of us think, well, he has, he, 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 he's an expert at rescuing the person down the street. No, you as you are. And he as he really is. He'll rescue you today. Now, let me ask you this. I'm going to pray and the minister will come in his own way. Some of you need to put your anchor down in the promise, I can go with him without knowing where. Others of you need to drop your anchor today. You need to wait on him without knowing when. Somebody else here would say, no, <laughs> I need to believe him without knowing how. Lord, we bow before you. You've told us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your holy word. Lord, we've heard your word from sacred scripture. But as we ask, we plead again, may the Holy Spirit of the triune God, may the Holy Spirit of the triune God take this word and lodge it in the heart of everyone here so that when we rise up to leave this place, it will be with saving faith, rescuing faith, healing faith, that will enable us to go out these doors in these uncertain times, so fraught with every kind of anxiety, knowing that we can go with you when we don't know where. We can wait on you when we don't know when, and oh Lord, we can trust you when we don't know how. We pray this in the faithful name of that greater son of Abraham, even our Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.